Jen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you are a genius. And I, for some reason, that tree above your head in the background, it makes you like really appear that way and it accentuates that. So uh, thanks for spending your time with us today. You you study a lot of things that I know I nerd out about and like, you know, spend a lot of money on time on all that good stuff. And I know you know, anybody that's listening today, you're going to have, you know, something very useful for them. So uh, neuroscience, that was the one thing that was like, ooh, made my ear perk up when I heard that. Humor, that was another thing when I saw that. I was like, oh, okay, connection between the two. Anybody who can break down humor, like, I will, my ears perk up immediately. Um, and then imposter syndrome. Okay, buzzword, a lot more to it that we're going to dive into there. Um, but those three things were kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's personally relevant for me. I've, I've definitely experienced it, go through it, have doubts with it. Um, and then people have just been talking to it's, it. It's, it's that Volkswagen effect I mentioned where it's like, I heard it once and then all of a sudden it's like everywhere you turn, your, your people are experiencing it or feeling it. It might be veiled under different terms, but it's that the essence is kind of similar. So um, thank you so much for hanging out today, Jen. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I'll Can I tell you a little story about the tree? But yes, of course. That was actually, I found, it was like one of those crazy things I found on Facebook. And this woman trains uh, orphans in Haiti to carve those out of the tops of oil drums. And then the money she raises helps feed and house the kids. What? That's why I love it so much. It does look like a tree is growing out of my head. You know, but now that my hair's natural, oh, natural, it also sort of matches, but yeah. Yeah. That's why I loved it so much. That's unbelievable. Wait, so what is it actually made out of? It's made, it's funny. It's, let's see. It's really light. Like it's in the proper place, but it's super light. It's made out of an oil drum. Right. The top of an oil drum. Okay. So it is a form of like metal or something. Yeah. It's made out of tin actually. And they carve it. The kids carve it. I think Jeez, it's machine carving, but that's, and so she's teaching them how to create businesses. And I love that. I love that giving back and the social aspect of it. Oh my gosh. I love that. Uh, maybe you can tell us like the name or whatever the link, and we'll be sure to link that up in the description. Yeah. I'll look it up and get it to you. Cause I don't remember. Everyone's been asking me that. And I'm like, oh, I don't remember. <laughs> nah, no worries. That's great. Um, but to, to kind of, um, anybody who hasn't familiarized themselves with your work, um, you know, could you give us a breakdown of like. Was I accurate with my description of some of the things you're studying and researching and spending your time on? Um, I know there's a lot more that I left out, but um, what's kind of important to you right now? I know you have cohorts going on and you're really spending a lot of time, um, I think, demystifying imposter syndrome and helping entrepreneurs and people feel just a little bit more sure about themselves, which, I mean, who can't use that in today's day and age, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, who I serve are leaders and entrepreneurs who are second guessing themselves and spending a lot of time and money searching outside of themselves for the answers, whether it's a new product, a new service, a new business coach, et cetera. And what I find is that to a T, whether I'm working with people on making imposter syndrome, their superpower, or I'm working with them on mastering their mind and building unshakable confidence, it all comes back to taking away everything that isn't you. So you return to the core of who you are because we've spent so much time as entrepreneurs doing the research. What's the funnel? What's the way to do it? And I've got the answer and I've got the answer and it's this one and it's that one. And when it comes right down to it, what you and I both know is that it's unique to us. And you can mm -hmm. look at all those other products and services, but it's got to be unique to you and it's got to, it's got to resonate with you and you've got to feel good about it. You're not going to feel good about trying to mimic 
somebody else. And I think when we first start out, that's what we're left doing is trying to find the answer when it's internal. Right. There is an actual energy in the air where you are like, oh, I think this is the right thing to do and I know it versus like, oh, I'm following these list of steps because I heard it on Shark Tank and it's like, that's not even my goal, you know, to whatever. But I guess you said using imposter syndrome as your superpower. I mean, the first <laughs> when I heard that, I mean, that is something I'm drawn to that type of content. Like when I hear people who aren't so sure about, like, I don't want to consume someone's content who has it all figured out and is just like a hundred percent great all the time. I like kind of like, okay, you're also figuring this out. You're, you're being honest about where you're at with this. Like you're not a genius, but you are interested in this. And that that is something I know when I first started my career in fitness, like 10, 11 years ago, I was very self-conscious because I was younger. I was, you know, I felt like I, I don't know, I just a lot of ego stuff to do, prove and, and whatnot. And so how do you lean into that angle or make it work for you? Or that's not even just the whole thing. That's probably just one angle. But how do you make imposter syndrome uh, something that actually works for you instead of against you? Yeah, I would, let me let me answer that. And then let me also kind of um, connect it to the framework of how I work with people. So First of all, imposter syndrome is not a syndrome. A syndrome is a, some, is a medical diagnosis. So nobody actually has imposter syndrome. That's number mm -hmm. one. And it's a huge misnomer out there because it gets great, great SEO. I use it. Yeah. It gets great SEO because people are searching for that because right, that's what right. they hear, right? And it was actually discovered by two researchers back in the 70s who realized that really high achievers felt like a fraud, felt like they had gotten to where they were by accident. Uh, underestimated themselves and overestimated everybody else around them. And they called it imposter phenomenon because phenomenologically you're experiencing it in your body. Mm. So in working, you know, I've been a coach over 25 years. I've been digging into imposter syndrome for about four, six years, four years, four years. And what I found to a T and I'll get to the answer to your question, how to make it your superpower is our experience of feeling like an imposter, of striving to be perfect, of thinking we needed to do it alone and asking for help makes us weak, of procrastinating because we're used to things coming easy and that thing doesn't come easy or I can't see the point between A and B and therefore I'm going to wait or not try, which is me. I'm calling one on myself. Mm -hmm. All I say it is a result of an amygdala hijack, and I'll talk about that. We'll bring the neuroscience in here. And backing a step away from there, that amygdala hijack happened when you were a kiddo. What I found is anywhere from like two to 14 years old. And it usually has to do with an, an unwanted experience. Something happens and the brain, the brain and the body experience something unwanted, an unwanted emotion like uh, embarrassment, shame disappointment, etc. And in that moment of the brain experiencing that, the brain also, the brain's job is to keep you safe. The brain is consistently taking in information, compartmentalizing it in your brain, uh, um, comparing it to other stuff, figuring out where it all fits. That's evolution. That's why we're here and other cave people aren't because they got eaten because the brain's constantly trying to figure out, can I eat that? Is it going to eat me? The key is the brain can't discern between a real threat and a, an imaginary threat. That's why if you ever watched a movie with a point of view of a, a roller coaster and you see the roller coaster drop, you're 
tummy's dropping, your stomach's dropping because the brain thinks you're on the roller coaster and trying to balance out your equilibrium. The moment we stretch ourselves, the moment we get to that next level, people say new level, new devil, the brain is going to trigger that triggering event and amygdala hijack, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn because the brain's attempting to protect you and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, be safe, back up, don't try it, don't try it, don't go for that, don't ask that question, don't do that, don't do that. It wants to keep the human safe. You'll never, ever get rid of imposter syndrome. Stop trying. All these coaches out there that are telling people to overcome imposter syndrome, and if you look on the web, there's 2.4 million tips, tools, and tricks to do it. It doesn't work. Why? Because when you're attempting to come over something, to overcome it, the thing you're trying to come over has to stay stuck. And in fact, the more you try to overcome it, the more embedded you're going to keep that brain pattern. I'm going to stop there because I said a lot and I can tell you have something to say back. <laughs> I do, yeah. Well, this is so fascinating to me because that amygdala hijack concept, um, when you like, and then, okay, so the thing that really stood out to me about what you said was the brain can't discern between a real experience and then an imaginary yep. one or one that like movies is an example that I thought I was like, oh, okay, like that's why movies are so fun or great or like it's a trusted experience. If this is a thriller, you will feel scared at these specific timestamps and it's almost guaranteed for like 80% of people, 90%, some crazy uh, hit rate. But I wonder, um, because I believe that too, what is there... When was that kind of really discovered and normalized? Because I feel like at one point we used to say that and it was just kind of like still woo-woo. And now it's like actual scientific neuroscience research that it's like, oh, your brain is actually experiencing high levels of fear or stress or whatever if you're watching like the Discovery Channel or you're watching, uh, you know, uh, any any scary show like It or a movie like that, you know? Well, I think, um, I, I don't know about when it was normalized. I think all, you know, neuroscientists would be like, we've been talking about this forever. You know, it's right. neuroplasticity. The brain's malleable. We're identifying, because when I work with people, why I say make imposter syndrome your superpower is because the very thing that happened to you where you experienced embarrassment or shame or something, the brain also said, Ooh, I got to figure out how to not have that happen again. And you became something to protect yourself. So I had a client who, when she was about 12 years old, a cousin was giving away all these uh, clothes and her family didn't have a lot of money. So none of the other kids, the other cousins did. So they all went to the house to get these free clothes. And my, this client pulled up a pair of white jeans and her aunt said, oh, honey, you're too big to fit into those. Sheer embarrassment, totally feeling like this was, you know, not trusting uh, uh, somebody who she thought loved her to say this thing to her. What does she do? She doesn't put them back, which is something could have been a reaction. She goes into the bedroom, lays down in the bed and gets those jeans on her body because she's going to show her. And what my client saw was in the moment of doing that, she became, I'm going to show you and super driven. And she has a... Uh, created and sold three businesses. She's on her fourth. She's extraordinary, but guess what? That drivenness has left her completely unfulfilled and dissatisfied with any of her results because it's an upset 12-year-old at the helm right. of her companies, not her choice to be driven. So where it became normalized, you know, I feel like more and more people, it's becoming interwoven into a lot of different disciplines. Dr. Joe Dispenza, for example. Oh, I love him. Yeah, I was, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Landmark Forum or Landmark Worldwide. Yeah, I've been. 
Okay. So I was, I was one of their program leaders for 16 years. And so as things went on, we began to weave. In fact, I think it was back around 2005 or six when we began to weave a ton more neuroscience and had neuroscientists on our design team to give us access to how the brain's working when it's reacting to a stressor event. So that moment when she went to get the pants and the aunt said, Oh honey, you can't do that. Well, it was an, it was fight. That's who she became was fight. There's a way of being called driven that she went to make up for. The brain attempted to make up for that unwanted experience of shame. So she would never have to experience it again. Now, did she experience shame again? Probably. We all do from time to time, you know? But so I don't know exactly the other book that's really great because I know you like to give your listeners a lot of resources. Um, if you ever heard of Michael Singer and the Untethered Soul or the oh, Surrender yeah. Experiment. I think I've read, heard that once on audiobook or something. Yeah, it's been around forever, but it was a New York Times bestseller for a reason. And I'm in the midst of finally reading it. I've been hearing about it for years. I've been listening to him and reading his other stuff. And I want to go back to your movie analogy because it was so interesting. He said, imagine the human brain. Imagine you're at the movies and you go to see Maverick. That's the movie I want to go see tonight because I just too. rewatched. Hey, did you rewatch Top Gun though? Not yet. I need to do it like, I need to do it close to when I go watch the second one because yes. I don't want to forget. Yeah, but here's the thing. The cheese factor in Top Gun is through the roof. I never remembered <laughs> it being that cheesy. Like Tom Cruise's smile when he's trying to like, oh, I can't even, I couldn't even, I needed saltines. It was like with my cheese. It was, <laughs> so I'm just warning you. Like it's, it was not, it was not as good as I remembered it. Back right. Then. Anyhow, I'm, go ahead. I'm very, I'm very curious how they've updated that in, in the new one, right? If like it's right. still as cheesy or if they've modernized like the hunky Tom Cruise to how we like, like to respond to it in today's Let's day and age. Let's hope so you know? because it was bad. You yeah. Know, just like yeah. close-ups of him and that smile. I'm like, really? That's what won her <laughs> over Kelly or too easy. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, have yeah. fun. Keep me posted on how it goes. I will. I will. So if you imagine you're at the movies and imagine you go to see Maverick and now, you know, the hallmark of any good movie is you forget everything else. You shut everything mm. else out because you're so immersed in this movie. And we've all gone to see bad movies where you can't wait to get out of there. But if you're like me, you have to sit there because you paid your money and you have your popcorn and your junior mitts and you're not leaving. Right. You know, that's just the way it is. But you're not immersed in the movie. You're thinking about other things. Your mind's starting to wander. Now imagine if you go into the movies and everything Tom Cruise is thinking, feeling, seeing, you're, it's thinking, feeling, seeing. It's like you're in the metaverse and you're mm. actually become him in that movie so much so you forget you're in a movie. And all of a sudden there's a physical experience too. And you can feel whatever he's feeling in the, like you can feel this, the seat in the fighter plane and everything else has left. That's your mind. Except your mind doesn't know everything you're experiencing is actually a movie. So mm. think about all the thoughts that we're having. We don't think of them as thoughts. We think they're real. Right, right. So that's where it's like uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza's stuff really comes into play where he has this, I forget if it's like your thoughts become your thoughts turn into words, words become actions, actions become your personality, or I, I butchered it, but he has some, some linear way of looking at it where it, everything begins from the thought. And then thoughts that's become the, things. Yeah. 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 You're right. Um, what is your like 
because there is a frequency or energy that he talks about in his, and he's doing a lot of great work with like neuroscience and trying to bring research into it and demystify it using science and whatnot. From your studying of him and then your own version of, you know, you studying this stuff, what is that frequency or energy where like he talks about where you're, you know, you're in the future and you're not in the past, right? And you're so excited about these things you want to happen maybe, or, uh, and your brain has left this feeling or this version of you that's like at your lowest low or whatever, and you're imagining the great version of you. There's a difference between thinking that cerebrally and then it's like you're getting the movie-like effect of feeling that and you see that version of what you're envisioning. I mean, I don't know if there's an answer even to that yet at this point in time, but uh, do you under, do you know what I'm talking about? Where uh, I, I do, I actually didn't really study Joe Dispenza. I went to see him speak once. I got one of his audio CDs, and he just didn't resonate with me. I just, really, yeah, I just, it, you know, I have friends who are actually some of some of his coaches and a lot of people who adore him, but I couldn't handle his meditations. They annoyed me. I didn't like his yeah. voice, so I just <laughs> never. But what you're talking about. And he's great. It just wasn't, didn't resonate with me. Like there's a lot of teachers out there. Some resonate with us, some don't. What you're speaking to though, is the experience of being present. Mm. When we're present, there's no past, there's no future. When we're present, we can have the presence of mind to choose exactly where we are and where we're not to choose how we're going to show up to choose the way of being because your, your thoughts, your emotions, your body sensations are all reactions. They're never going to go away. They all arise together. When you can notice your thoughts, feelings, emotions, and body sensations as themselves, then you're present. And when you're present, you can have presence to choose who you want to be and how you want to show up. And that's what I call in the work that I do with my clients, which is consistent overall, I call it cracking the power code. And power mm. is a, an acronym, pursuing reality, owning your stories. That's key for all the work I do. And I'll give you this tip for anybody listening. If you're upset about anything right now, anything, I don't care if it's personal. I don't care if it's professional. Sit down with a pen and paper and don't resist me on this because there's a different part of the brain that works when you write and write out everything blah, blah, ticked off about. And then this person, blah, blah, and then, blah, 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 and, then and that's all because, you know, I was born here and this and that and the other thing, write it all out. And at the end, just go back and circle the facts. And there will oh. be few, there will be few and far between in that one tool of separating fact from fiction, of pursuing the facts and owning your stories, you're going to get present. And when we're present, right. we can witness the thoughts, feelings, and emotions as themselves. That's the W in power. And the E is embrace a new choice. Then when we're present, we can embrace a new choice. And the R is just reflect, repeat. Because that's the that's what there is to master as human beings. We chose to incarnate in this existence to experience all the highs and lows of our humanness, but we forgot. And we think the movie's real and it isn't. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, there, I want to circle back to that example you gave of your client who had sold three businesses and like, was going to, I'm going to show you right. Um, that, that thread of like ambitious people or driven people, like having that, whatever you, that dark horse, that thing that keeps them going and moving and achieving like insane levels of, uh, success and whatever craft it is. Um, have you found like, is there a way when that goes away and you've got more security, you've got more safety, you've got less of that. I'm going to show you to lean on. Can you still maintain that same level of output? Here's, here's what I have found is that 
when you're in the mode of being driven, producing results, high achiever, and you're not at choice about it, the, what drives you is your deep, deep depth of dissatisfaction because mm. you actually can't see all the wins you've had around you. You want to keep going. You want to keep going. You, it's almost like you have to, you have to keep going because what you're feeding is that driven hollow moment inside you. And guess what? That hole is never going to be filled. Right. When you can discern that you're at the effect of the amygdala hijack. And so you became driven and that's led to actually dissatisfaction. You can choose to be driven, but then be satisfied. And there's a joy and a freedom and an ease in both being driven and satisfied. There's joy, freedom, and ease in that. Being driven and completely dissatisfied, that is sleepless nights, that is stress, that is dis-ease in our body that manifests as disease in our bodies. The key is the work that I do with my clients is leaving people at choice who they are, how they want to show up and owning their most authentic self by being real about who they are in a professional way and being able to share that, owning their blind spots when they get feedback and being willing to discover the mystery of what they don't know they don't know that will greatly impact their ability to continue to be successful and have the people around them successful. Yeah. It's almost as if like, cause there's, you see people succeed like let's say uh in a business sense right um using so many tools right someone does it through instagram and that became their thing someone did it through they were just great at it and you know word of mouth or whatever and someone did it through TikTok, someone email everybody's got their thing but they all worked and if you look at each one of them they're not all doing all the things they're doing something really well and then a lot of stuff is shitty and then on this person's doing this part well but it's like they all ended up in a destination that was like, oh, it, it, it worked. And part of what I think is like there was an, there's this uh, energy or knowing where you're like, I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm, this is like, this is, this is impactful. I see why, like you're convinced that this is like why you're doing Instagram and Instagram is the thing that's going to grow your business. And for those people, maybe it actually does. I don't know. What's your thought on like that, uh, that knowing role? Yeah, I love how you pointed to your to your head. You're like uh, the knowing in my head, except it's knowing as in being. That's what I yeah. think. I think when you look out at all the myriad of ways to launch a business, market a business, a sales funnel, um, you know, think about it. LinkedIn's the thing now. Nope, it's Instagram's the thing now. Nope, it used to be Facebook was the thing now. Now it's TikTok. Now it's uh, Clubhouse, which I never even got on board with because I'm like, Me this neither. is going to come and go so quickly. I'm not interested. You know, I didn't like but, you couldn't save the conversations. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I didn't even bother. I was like, I yeah. just can't. The yeah. key for me, and I think everybody forgets about this, you know, why we became entrepreneurs is because there was a joy in the creativity. There's a joy in the wanting to make a difference. There's a joy in providing something to people. Maybe there's a joy in making the money. And that's what I think we have to continue to touch base with. Is it is, are the things that we're pursuing as strategies for our business, do, do we want to do them? Do we wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait? You know, I'll tell you, I used to travel a lot for work pre-COVID. You know, I was on the road one to two weeks a month. Uh, I was on site with clients. I was traveling. COVID hit, bam, it went away. You know, I reimagined and did a lot of Zoom webinars and virtual webinars. Well, and it's great to a point but it's not my jam. And I also mm -hmm. went back to doing a lot more one-on-one. -on -one. I still take clients one-on-one, -on -one, but you know what gives me the best joy? In-person, 
big stages, transforming entire rooms because that's what I'm known for. And that's what I have done for such a long period of time. So now I'm starting to offer retreats. My first one's in September called Master Ooh. Your Mind, Six Steps to Build Unshakable Confidence. Because I want to be in the room where it happens, like physically in the room with human beings and then going out for a meal or a sale on the bay near where I live and having a conversation about what just happened. Because you and I both know the real work gets done after you've like absorbed, you've eaten the feast. Mm -hmm. It's sitting back and patting your belly and going, man, which part of it did you like best? And why did <laughs> right. you like that part? You know, and what was it about that chocolate cake that was so flippin' delicious? There's no way that that had no, there's no way that cake was vegan and gluten-free, but in fact it was. And then all of a sudden it reminds you of grandma's cake and a holiday when you were growing up and, you know, cause everybody, all, all, I think all cultures built something around food, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to find what lights you up. And there was a long time, especially in the last like three or four months where I've just been in the thick of things where I've been questioning and doubting myself. And it really came down to, I kept asking too many other people what their opinions were. I kept looking outside of myself for what other people were doing. And I finally sat down in a mastermind with a colleague. I'm like, yes, I'm a huge whole body. Yes. A hell yes to leading live retreats. That's really it. If you're not a hell yes to that particular tactic, don't fucking do it. It won't work for you because your heart's not in it. Yeah. And that plays a big part of it because like you, even if, cause you can easily convince yourself that you are in it, right? Like you can be, oh, this is, this is it. I love this. Right. Like I can talk about like <clears throat> when I was in fitness, I remember like think like niching down uh, early on in my career where everybody's telling you to niche down. And, and it was like, like handstands was the, like the one thing I was like, Oh, I'm good at handstands. Like people are talking about it. people want to learn about it. Like I had people that I was teaching it to. And I convinced myself that like handstands was my thing, like my life purpose and everything surrounded handstands. And I was like, I, I, that have that was periodic though. Right. Where it's like that ended pretty quick where it's like, I'm not really, it, there's more to it than just handstands. And I, because everybody was telling me to niche down and I thought that was the thing to do. I like rode that initial excitement and it felt really like, this is it. This is the next big thing as you kind of mentioned. And then you realize it's not. So that, that feeling of like, you found it is really exciting. But then obviously when you realize it's not, like, uh oh, that wasn't the one thing. It's a bunch of other things or whatever. How what do, do you do? even be? Yeah, what do you do? Like, like, what do you do? What do you do? Shit. What, what do we do? Well, I think number one, people forget as entrepreneurs, we got to test stuff. You tested handstands. You, and, and my guess is there was a lot of learning that can be applied to life in general about having handstands be your thing. And having everything come from that, that you can now apply to what you do now. Guess what? That was per perfect and appropriate at that moment in time. And just like curtain call on the final, you know, night of the original Broadway musical of Hamilton with Lin-Manuel Miranda, the curtain came down. But often what happens is we stay in things too long. We stay using tactics too long. We stay in relationships too long. We stay in jobs too long, right? Because either... We're in, we don't realize that it's like that's final curtain because we're, oh, but that was supposed to be it. Except if it feels heavy in your body and it feels like a slog, it ain't it. And that's okay. All right. I tested that. That didn't work far out now. Now what now? Okay. Well, what's next? What else can I test in a very small way? What else can I try in a very small way? You know, when I first started my company, 
the second year I think I was in business, I tested doing a monthly uh, free webinar. It wasn't free. I was selling it for like 27 bucks or something that I called the Insanity Series. And it mm -hmm. was specific tools that I had developed over the years all around creating purposeful teams and creating partnerships and letting go of anxiety. It took as much for me to market that $27 webinar as it did for the long haul to get a $15,000 or $20,000 client. I think at the time I was charging $7,500 for one-on-one -on -one coaching for three months. It took me as much time. So what's the biggest? And it started to become too much work because mm -hmm. of getting people into the program month after month. But I stuck with it for a year. I did everything I could. Guess what? I have a shit ton of content. Yeah. You know, I learned a lot <clears throat> from that. I learned that I don't like launches. Yeah. So my group I... program is evergreen. People can come in whenever they want, but I have an orientation slash like vision purpose call before they get into the actual curriculum. That's going to lead, lead you with a 90 day business plan to achieve goals really, really quickly. You know, I'll do, I'll do a webinar and I do a webinar a couple times a year, four times a year for imposter syndrome leading into a cohort. But that, and that's the only launch kind of thing I do. I don't do anything like that with my group program because I don't, I, if I'm going to give away free content, I want to make sure that you're getting something out of it. And I will say from the front, you know, you know, and I know I'm going to make an offer at the end. I'm, I'm one mm -hmm. of those people that's broken all the rules. Like when I get on a call with people and they want to talk with me one-on-one -on -one and I will say to them, look, every sales coach would tell me not to do this, but I'm going to give you both programs because you know your budget. I don't, you know your time. I don't, you know, you got to consider things. Do you need time to talk it over or talk it over with your partner? Take the time, think it through. I once got on a call and I'm not going to say who it was with a very, very famous, you know, high ticket. I'm going to help you with your high ticket offer coach. And this guy who was on the phone with me was like, well, if you don't sign up today, it's like one half hour call for his, whatever, $10,000 program, you know, which she was going to give me for $8,000, the, the, uh, discount will go away. And I was like, well, then it goes away. But when I'm ready, I will reach out. Well, you could just put a deposit. Well, I'll tell you what, if you put a deposit on your credit card, you could keep that uh, you know, you're, you could keep that pricing. I said, I don't use credit cards. What do you mean you don't use credit, credit cards? Even insert famous person's name here uses credit cards. And I said, good for them. I don't use credit cards. Our conversation's over. Yeah. <clears throat> it's almost like we value instead of like discounts that doesn't play anymore. Like that scarcity thing is like expired a little bit. You almost have to go into those conversations. Like, um, knowing that you're not, you may not close the sale that day. You're going to give time for them to think it over. And that often ends up closing the deal. Just that giving the space and time and acknowledging that like, Hey, like you're human. I'm, we both know what we're doing here. I am going to try to sell you something, but I'm not going to do it in the traditional way. Cause it's very like, I don't know. I think we've just transactional. Too much. Yes. Yes, it's transactional. It it's not building a relationship because you don't know that person who didn't buy from you today. They could buy from you six months from now. They could never buy from you, but they were, people remember how you make them feel. So if you leave people known, honored and appreciated by the end of that call, that's va there's value in just that. Well, what am I going to do on those calls? What kind of value can I provide? Leave people feeling listened to. Are you kidding me in today's society and how quick paced things are and everyone's on their phones? I swear I was walking, got where I was walking yesterday and this woman was crossing the street and I was crossing the way. Streets wide open. She's on her phone heading right for me and I almost wanted to purposefully just bump right into her 
and see her phone skate across in the rainstorm because I'm like, there's humans. There's humans out here. Right. We're humans. Stop trying to sell me something. Stop being transactional. We're going to build a relationship here. And when I build relationships on any call, it's over time. I've had people not buy from me and then refer a ton of business to me because of how I made them feel. They felt valued. Mm -hmm. They felt heard, known. They felt listened to. Focus on that. That's going to make your heart feel better anyway. You don't want to sell anybody anything. Yeah, no, I agree. And I wonder, like, I mean, using coming back to that example again, that client you had who on the fourth of business, right? Like after going through some of the work and, you know, strategies you've kind of talked about, like <clears throat> what's the day-to-day -day, uh, like vibe and operation of that person now? Is it still like, I mean, it never goes away. You mentioned that, right? So that, that feeling of, um, I'll show you, I'm sure that's, it, it's in the background or there's a whisper. Um, what does it realistically look like for someone using her as an example, who is really driven by that? There is, you know, and we can fill in the blank. It might not be, I'll show you, but whatever it is for you. It's what a moment. It's mastery for a lifetime, number one. And it's every moment getting that the thoughts you're having are not real. The emotions and body sensations may feel real, but they go along with the thoughts and getting to discern between fact and fiction and choosing who you're going to be and how you're going to show up. Now this client can choose to be driven, which is completely satisfied when she's driven. So I'm able to complete that triggering event, but not take away the drive, the ambition, because now you can use that for good rather than being right. at the effect of it all. That's what I was going to say is because it, there's so much utility also in sometimes that type of anger or fear or despair, whatever it is for some people. So there is like a, you, 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 you know, ideally you figure out how to leverage a little bit of it. And then most of the time you're like not in that state, which I think yeah. is the tough part because like when you start a business or anything, a venture, normally you are in a culture of like, all right, we're going to hustle. We're going to go hard. We're going to do, we're going to learn as much as we can say yes to everything, say no to nothing. And it's like, go, go, go for a couple years or whatever. And then there's a season where you're like, all right, that's not it anymore. I have made the money. I have done the thing, or I have some space. It's time to like find a balance or whatever. So there, I think that moment in time where you go from like, I should be hustling. I should be going hard. I'm using all of what I have. Like, screw this. Like, um, you know, balance is not right now. Like I'm going to lean into my imposter syndrome. And then it's like, okay, well now it's really working against you maybe a couple years later. Uh, and you don't like feeling unfulfilled all the time, but also being really successful that power to switch. I mean, what's something that you can share in that would help someone like me or someone who's listening do that. Um, is it the fact from like that drill you mentioned was really helpful now that you've kind of referred to like, okay, well it's recognizing your thoughts aren't real. And then because the emotion, the sensations are coming from the thoughts and that's the root thing. Then I guess if you attack the root thing where you're like, well, let's label the thoughts and then let's figure out what's fact or fiction. That could be a good anchor drill or anchor point. Um, but what does it look like to train that switch? I think for most people. I, you know, it's different for everybody. So I don't have a, an answer of what it looks like across the board because every human being is unique. But if you, um, there's a blog on my website called Cracking the Power Code and a freebie people can get with the specific 
tools to practice. I think that what you're speaking to is something even bigger. And what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that as entrepreneurs, the first like two people say, once you get to year five, you're, you're pretty good. You know, people think it's year three. No, you got to give yourself to year five. I'm now year six going into year seven. I'm still figuring stuff out. So, you know, there's always as human beings, we're consistently evolving. Our circumstances are changing. Our life experiences are changing, et cetera. Um, the moment that you go from you know, being a results producer to having more freedom and the freedom to produce results in your own way. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes some life um, uh, event that is not fun, a death in the family, COVID, cancer, uh, all those things to have you reimagine how you want your life to be. And I'll tell you from personal experience in the middle of COVID, you know, and I, I, li- I live alone, so I'm, I'm single. I didn't have a, a guy in my life at the time during COVID. And so the first 71 days I was by myself until I was able to go to a park to be with friends. And I was giving everything I could to my community. I was going live on Facebook every morning for moments of inspiration. I was leading at least one webinar and how to harness anxiety to achieve your goals because an- people's anxiety was through the roof. Um, I actually started a six-part vlog series called Frankly Fridays, looking at institutionalized racism in the arts, in the prison system, in the marijuana laws, in bail reform, uh, in uh, food. Dear friend who just came out with a great book called Smoke about the history of barbecue in America. And he is only the second African-American person who's written a flipping book about barbecue ever. Wow. Yeah. The rest are all white guys. Like mm-hmm. Bobby Flay and people like that. So anyway, right. I'm doing all these things and I'm exhausted. And I'm also working like head down in imposter syndrome and coaching people one-on-one and speaking about it and working with people. And I finally sat on my porch in July. I was like, I need a fucking break. Yeah. Literally a week later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. What? Yeah. And I'm good now. I'm fine now. I went through all the things, but you know, in that moment, I'm like, how the hell am I going to coach people? If I have chemo, I've heard of chemo brain. How I'm the one who's I have people on my team to support. How the hell is this all going to work? I reimagined my whole business. I began working 20 hours a week. I didn't take any outwardly facing clients until one o'clock. All my calls are between one and five, maybe one and six now. Fridays, I took completely off to take care of myself. And you know what? That hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is in the mornings I do my, you know, back then I was like sleeping or recovering from radiation or surgeries or whatever. Now it's journaling, meditation, exercise. And then from 10 to 12, I'm working on the business. I'm doing reach outs. I'm connecting with people. I might be having calls with some clients in Europe. Fridays, I work on the business, but I work on taking Fridays off. I may have one or two calls where I'm working on the business, but for the most part, I have a Friday off. So I have a long weekend. In the weekends, I take a weekend. I told you I didn't go to sleep till 4.30 this morning because I, you know, had one thing to do and then began working. That is a rarity for me these days. So don't think you have to work so fucking hard to produce results. You don't because that's not going to bring you joy. When you're in your joy, when you're even whatever that small thing is, maybe it's having a particular cup of tea that you love with your particular, whether it's sugar or honey, whatever, sitting on your patio, listening to the birds, is the thing that brings you joy. Start when you're in down in the dumps and you think you can't get out, follow those moments, those crumbs, and you'll be attracting more and more joy to you. For those entrepreneurs that are facing 
the, the mind on a daily basis, it really does come down to mastery. Look, as a fitness person, you know, to master a handstand, it wasn't just, you know, six weeks to master a handstand or what is it? Couch potato to 5k. Yeah. yeah. If you go back to sitting on the couch, you're going to become a couch potato again. It's a lifetime of mastery. It's not one and done. It's the same thing with mastering your mind because guess what? You're always going to have thoughts. Guess what? You're always going to have doubts until you don't. And that's when you're dead. And then it's too late. Yeah. I freaking love that. I think that um, <clears throat> you're someone who obviously has trained your mind and has done a, done this for a long time. And so I'm very curious when you like when you found that out two weeks later, you're like, oh, I have breast cancer now. Right. I mean, that moment and then the rest of the moments, what was, was your mind prepared for it? Were you like, I got this, we're no. going to keep doing it? Okay. No, no. I mean, I, so what happened was I was planning a staycation. I was going to go visit a friend and I got freaked out about COVID, chose to stay, you know, at the time I lived outside of DC. I still live near DC. I'm between DC and Baltimore in Annapolis, Maryland. At the time I was just North of DC. I'm like, you know, I could wake up in the morning and I'm not going to set a clock. Maybe I'll go to the pool. Maybe I'll, nobody was really around in DC. So maybe I'll go down and just walk the monuments. You know, maybe I'll go for a bike ride. Like I'm just going to not plan a dang thing because my life was so planned with so much in it. Right. And I went to reach for something and I, I felt like a stitch in my side and I followed it over and there was a lump in my breast. Um, and I knew this was 11 o'clock at night. I did not sleep. Eight o'clock in the morning, I called my doctor's office and made an appointment. And then I sat on my balcony for two and a half to three hours sobbing uncontrollably because I didn't know who to call. It's not like I didn't have people to call, close family and friends, but I didn't know what I needed. I didn't want anybody to tell me it was going to be okay because I didn't feel okay. I didn't want anyone to tell me because people say dumb stuff to you when you have cancer. They're not, they're not meaning bad. They're just, it's their way of trying to identify. One's, person said to me, Oh my God, my mom had breast cancer and her, her skin like almost fell off of her breast. I was <laughs> like, you can, you can take that back now. Like I, right. I refuse to accept that invitation that you just gave me. You can take it back. So I didn't know who to call. Yeah, man. I finally called my stepmom and I uh, was like, where's dad? Because my dad gets anxious. He's right here. Why do you need to talk to him? No, you need to step away. She went in the other room. I told her what was going on. I told her what time my appointment was. And she said, okay, call a girlfriend to meet you. So I did. And the nurse was like, oh, it's a clogged milk duct. I'm going to send you for a mammogram, you know, went and I was like, okay, yay, salute. Let's go out for a drink and dinner and celebrate. I don't have breast cancer. Two days later, I go for the mammogram. I go for the sonogram and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And the, the radiologist comes in. And she's looking at stuff and she goes, well, I'm going to send you for a biopsy, but even if it comes back benign, I'm going to want you to get an MRI. And I, and I was kidding because I'm a stand up comedian and my mom died of ovarian cancer. So I've been down this road and I said, oh, come on, doc, you know, like, give me, give it to me straight. Like what? 80% chance, chance of cancer. And she looks at me over her mask and says much higher. And in that moment, my heart sank. It was all I could do to keep it together. I walked out you know, called my family, called my team. And there was so much uncertainty. And it was, it was me now training myself to be with all the uncertainty and dealing with just the facts. Three things I learned from my mom's cancer that were reinforced through my own. Deal with the facts, 
because everything else is worrying about a future that hasn't happened. And it's all story. Uh, say everything, say everything to the, to anybody, you know, say it all. I don't want you to do this. I'm sorry you're doing it. I'm scared. And make sure you empower the person who has cancer because we don't have a choice about cancer. I have a choice about my treatment. So I told people, if I want to stand on my balcony with a foot in the air and a tinfoil hat on eating racks of ribs, you damn well better call me up and say, you need another full rack and bring it on over if that's the way that I'm choosing it. I think though, those three things deal with the facts, say everything, empower the people around you can be applied to life. Wow. That's really, and I, I, I'm, I bet that you during that time, like I know the definition we've of imposter syndrome throughout this conversation has changed and we're more informed about what it is and the different thoughts that can kind of be veiled under that term. You were probably feeling like an expert in where you were at, right? Cause you were doing so much and it was great. And then when that if life event happened, did you feel like you got a bout of, of like, cause you mentioned a lot of uncertainty, um, in one area of life, having, having to kind of reimagine a whole nother sector. I mean, I, what was that like? Did you, did you feel like you were a beginner again? Kind of, or I, I, you know, I, um, I'm always a beginner. I always take the case. I'm a beginner. I, you know, Buddha talks about beginner's mind because I'm interested in discovery. The moment I stop discovering is the moment we all, we all die. We could become set in our ways. Not that we actually physically die, but we become set in our ways. You know, a friend of mine, her, when her husband married her, his only vow was, I vow never to know you. <laughs> and I loved that because what he was saying was every time I think I know who you are and I have opinions about you and I think I know, you know, what you want or need, I'm going to let that go and ask and be curious. And I, I, don't, I think we could use more of relating to ourselves that way. Because yeah. we're not fixed immovable objects. It's neuroplasticity. The brain is malleable, which means, guess what? There's all kinds of new ways of being that we can tap into and access. I think the major, you know, if you had said to me at the time, well, it'll be fine. You're, you have a lesson to learn here. I probably would have throat punched you. But in the retrospect, right, getting how much I'm loved, getting how much uh, I'm lovable and the people around me love me. I had a great group of friends. I mean, my, my dad's older. So he and my stepmom couldn't come in, but I did not go to one appointment by myself. People drove me, people, you know, people took care of me in my life. And it was a beautiful thing to open myself up to that. So many of us as entrepreneurs are solopreneurs and feel like we have to go it alone. But I think every time we reach the top of the mountain, you look up and, oh crap, there's another part of the mountain to climb and it's mm -hmm. being okay with the climb. <clears throat> yeah. It's like figure. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I think it's, um, I don't know. I just really love a lot of like the terminology, I guess, that you've developed from maybe studying this over time where it's like, I can't unhear it now. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take it with me. Um, where are some areas where we can, I know you mentioned freebies and, uh, you know, cohorts and stuff you're running that like cold cuts. sounds very Kidding. exciting cohorts. Yeah. yeah. Um, go, go to my website, www.jencoken.com. Uh, J-E-N-C-O-K-E-N.com. On there, when you get on there, there will be a freebie that pops up called Cracking the Power Code. Get on my mailing list. I send about an email a week, all designed to provide leadership tips tool and tools and, and, and help you discover something new about yourself. Um, if you just want the freebie and you want to unsubscribe, do it. I'm not going to take it personally. It's not a big deal. 
on that site, you'll see my blogs on there. You'll see the, the coaching that I do. I have a group program for entrepreneurs who are stuck because they know exactly what to do and they're doubting and second guessing themselves and spending way too much money on stuff instead of recognizing they have to look internally. There's an imposter syndrome cohort for women leaders and women in leadership um, and a bunch of other work that I do with uh, executives and their teams in corporate America as well. Beautiful. Well, that will all be linked up in the show notes. Um, Jen, I can't thank you enough for sharing all that you did today. I mean, I think this is going to, this is one of my, maybe one of my favorite conversations of the year so far. Oh, so, thank uh, you. That's so yeah. nice. Yeah. Thank you I, for I, having I just, me. Yeah. I, and I think I'd love to do this again at some point. Um, I think there's so much that we didn't even get to dive into, but there's so much you left us with that I think we need to take time to process and digest and implement. Yeah. I tell, tell people talking to me is like drinking from a fire hose and it's all about <laughs> application. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Anytime. Thanks again. And I'll talk to you soon.